Hi, my name's Lizzie Jack and this is The Scientist and Thee, a new podcast brought to you by the Illawarra Health and Medical Research Institute. First of all, who are we? IMRI is a not-for-profit charity based on the University of Wollongong campus that supports health and medical researchers in the Illawarra Shoalhaven region of New South Wales, Australia. We bring together scientists, doctors and health professionals to solve our greatest health challenges through research. We also help nurture the careers of early stage scientists and students completing their PhDs. In this podcast, we're going to talk science, health and how to decompress after a long week in the lab. In each episode, we'll get to know the person behind the lab coat. And you might be surprised at the random interests of a microbiologist or a neuroscientist. Now to episode two, The Scientist and the Gardener. My name is Nick Garrity and I'm an Emory-affiliated postdoctoral fellow researching neuroscience. This is Dr. Nicholas Garrity. He recently completed his PhD at Emory and he's now working to find a cure for motor neuron disease or MND. My research focuses on high-throughput drug discovery, so essentially testing a whole lot of drugs at one time uh, in a cellular model of motor neuron disease. Before we dive right in, it's worth mentioning that Nick uses the terms ALS and MND interchangeably. MND stands for motor neuron disease, which is an umbrella term. ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is a specific type of MND. Your brain and your whole nervous system obviously run on electrical signals and with motor neuron disease what happens is the nerve cells, the extremities start to break down first. This means that the electrical signal can no longer reach your extremities so this leads to paralysis of muscles usually beginning into the fingers or toes and then this eventually leads to the wasting away of muscles and the signals not reaching important organs like the lungs, which eventually leads to those shutting down. What's thought to cause this is the aggregation of proteins. So this is where the proteins interact when they shouldn't be and forming big masses of protein, which inhibit these signals, but also kick off uh, an auto-inflammatory response, which means the nervous cells break down and disappear, which leads to that muscle paralysis. And so my research is uh, with cells that have proteins that aggregate within them. So I'm using the drugs to try and prevent that aggregation in the hopes of using that as a treatment for the disease. To help find a cure for motor neuron disease, Nick's week is spent recreating these protein aggregations in tiny little dishes and testing different drugs through a technique called flow cytometry. He said he's actually really good at flow cytometry and it's part of the reason he went into this arm of research. Flow cytometry is basically utilising fluorescence. So what happens is the cells go past, are fed through a really, really tiny tube and go past a laser and the laser can tell you the size, uh, the granularity, which is sort of how much stuff is in the cell and can pick up the fluorescence. So I use it uh, to look at how much protein has actually aggregated. The word we use to do this is called inclusion. So once those proteins interact the way they shouldn't and form those masses, they're called inclusions. So I can actually count how many there are of inclusions per cell in a flow cytometer. 
So if a drug is a therapeutic, it will hopefully stop this process. So I leave the cells uh, to sit in the drug for 48 hours. Then I use flow cytometry to analyze that where the protein I've introduced actually fluoresces a certain color and I'm able to see that a reduction in that color means a reduction in the amount of protein that's aggregating and meaning the drug should be working. There's other diseases where protein aggregation is also important. So in Alzheimer's disease, the problem is the proteins actually form really, really large masses or inclusions. Nick says to think of your brain like the post office. So your brain's the post office, the electrical signals are the postman, and they're delivering messages to all different parts of your body or mailboxes. There's only one route between the post office and all the mailboxes, and the protein aggregation is a roadblock. With these protein aggregations, it's like the grass is growing across the road and then eventually it's like a tree falls down and there's no alternative path to get around it so those messages just basically stop so in alzheimer's disease the memories are stored on the outside of the brain and that's why our brain is nice and folded because the more surface area the more memories we can store and the electrical signals go out to the edge of the brain pick up the signal and bring it back but in alzheimer's disease where these proteins form inclusions that message can't be reached because there is that tree in the middle of the road something similar in parkinson's disease where the aggregates can form and actually cause lots and lots of messages. So instead of the message going from A to B, it's suddenly going from A to B, C, D, E, F. And so that's why the muscles start to spasm because they're receiving too many signals at one time. Like most people who dedicate their life to scientific research, Nick has always loved science. It was always my favourite subject at school. And in fact, when moving house and going through old things, Mum found my year six yearbook and with most people putting professional sports player or astronaut or whatever. Astronaut, it's gotta be up. Yeah, or fireman or policeman. I'd actually put microbiologist, so I think I've always just been interested in science. Nick's been studying for just over nine years. My undergraduate degree was medical biotechnology. The medical biotechnology degree here at UOW has a guaranteed honours year. So I was always going to do a year of research and the research that piqued my interest was under the co-supervision of Ronald Sluder, an expert in purinergic signaling, which is a signaling mechanism used for cells to communicate with each other. And uh, Debbie Watson, who is a transplantation immunologist looking at transplantation of tissues and cells between different organisms, different people. And their project really interested me. So I took that on and both Ron and Debbie work in Emory. After a three-year undergrad, an honours year and a PhD, Nick is now finally a doctor. But research is kind of slow and it can sometimes be really, really stressful. The lab sort of has both sides where when things are going right and uh, you're on a roll, it can be quite relaxing and engaging. But unfortunately, those moments aren't all the time. So I think there's a misconception about science that we walk in perform an experiment, get the results, analyse the data, when normally it's you walk in, perform the experiment, fail the experiment, perform it about 20 more times, fail it about 19 more times, and once you get it working, then you get your result and can look at the data. So it can get you down a bit sometimes, it can be very stressful, uh, but it's all worth it in the end. 
how do you decompress? So it's been like a long week in the lab. Yes. So after a long, stressful week in the lab, uh, I do thoroughly enjoy on weekends getting up and taking care of my garden. My interest in succulents began probably four or five years ago and have always had at least some pots of succulents. Gardening itself, I was always very interested in, always helped mum and dad in the yard, but didn't have my own garden until I'd moved out to a share house. That was good for about six months while I was there and then moved into an apartment. So kept the succulents, couldn't do the veggies. And then at the start of last year, moved back out to a share house with a massive yard. And so my first thing was to get that garden going. Luckily for me, it already had a plot out there set out uh, for the veggies. So I went shopping and probably spent more money than I actually had being off PhD scholarship and not having a paying job, but went and bought all the necessary herbs I find for cooking. So oregano, thyme, basil, I even got sorrel, which is an interesting vegetable, and uh, rosemary, kale. And then that's when I decided to start from seed for my carrots, onions, leeks, shallots, and bok choy. As a young, early career researcher, how do you find a work-life balance? Work-life balance in science is very hard. I often find myself on a weekend thinking I should really be in the lab or should I be doing this? Uh, the key there is to also have a good supervisor so they understand. Obviously, they want results. They want you to work very hard. And I think it's a matter of taking the time for yourself. So uh, leading into an early career researcher, there's a lot of work to do to try and get your name out there, uh, perform good research, get those experiments going. But I think valuing the time off you do have is important. And I think that's where some people might struggle is they may only get three or four hours off a week and be working the rest of the whole weekend. But it's a matter of completely taking your mind off the research during that time and doing something you enjoy. So for me, like gardening, when I'm gardening, it's I'm not really thinking about <clears throat> work at all. I'm sort of just focusing on the task at hand and doing that. And I think that's the relaxing part of it for me. Whereas sitting around all day or watching movies and stuff doesn't really help me relax that much. I still need to be productive with my time. But for work-life balance at the moment is going well because there's only so much I can do in a week. Where at other times, especially in my PhD when I had mouse work, dealing with that sort of thing has a lot of ethical constraints. So you have to come in on weekends and you have to follow the protocols you're given, which sometimes means spending a whole day, a whole weekend in the lab and then still coming back in Monday. But those things always do eventually come to an end and then you do have time off eventually. So I definitely feel that you need to value the time you have off. I think there will be some overlap with gardening and science. Obviously, if you want to grow something like uh, citrus, so lemons, limes, oranges, any sort of citrus, you have to be careful to make sure there's enough nitrates in the soil because they really like that. If there's not, you don't get nice fruit. So I think there is definitely an aspect of science to it, but there's also the fun bit of chucking it into dirt and seeing it grow without having to be uh, super particular like in uh, our field of science at least where you have to watch every little thing you do. So it was quite good to, to be able to 
have that nice uh, natural interest in science and nature without having to be so strict as you are in the lab. But there is definitely an overlap and sort of looking at the different things you have to do to maintain and grow a garden. So for succulents, the most common way to kill them is to overwater them, seeing as they do not like much water at all. So you have to really ensure there's a lot of drainage. If possible, plant them in half sand and half soil and really water them with only a little bit of water often, but make sure it drains because the most common way to kill them is to let mold sit at the bottom of a pot. So that's the always hard thing, seeing them at markets in so things like shot glasses or closed uh, bowls or bottles. Uh, succulents will die pretty quickly if uh, too much moisture sits at the bottom of them. The other science aspect comes with it is researching it, so quite a few books on succulents. And you begin to learn that just because it's a succulent doesn't necessarily mean that they're directly from the desert. There's a lot of succulents that uh, can't actually handle full sun. There's lots that exist sort of on the side of mountains or in valleys where there's quite a lot of mist so they actually like a lot of moisture in the air but not necessarily a lot in the soil so i think the scientific mind of it makes sure you uh get when you get involved you get very involved and read a lot about it do you think you'll ever go into full-time botany rather than being a neuroscientist well that's interesting because i actually worked for three and a half years at a place called flower power which nurtured my interest in gardening and plants in general. I quite enjoyed talking to the landscapers and I quite enjoyed working in the sun every day. So I thought if science fails, I know I can at least always fall back on that. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like I, having grown a garden myself, have somewhat of an eye for it. So I could definitely, if science fails me, always go back to landscaping. Uh, so maybe not botany per se, but definitely landscaping. Plants are a science. Yeah, they're a science themselves. That's all for the scientist and the gardener. Thank you so much to Dr. Nicholas Garrity for sharing his love for science and plants with us. To find out more about what we do at the Illawarra Health and Medical Research Institute, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IMRI, that's I-H-M-R-I, all lowercase. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Dr. Nick Gerrity, that's D-R-N-I-C-K-G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. And you can follow me on Twitter at Lizzie Lurleen 97 that's L-I-Z-Z-I-E. L-U-R-L-I-N-E 97. To donate to research at Imri, visit imri.org.au. Thanks for listening.